So uh, I'm Nathan Koskovich. We like to establish who we are. I'm Lenny Maurice. Hey, Lenny. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. What do you do? I am a graphic designer and letterpress printer. Yes, you are. How did um? We'll just do a little biography to start. So, where do your people come from? Where where are you where are you all from? Uh, well, we're from Atlanta, really. I mean, I wasn't here originally, but right. I've been here the last twenty years, so yeah, it's home to me. That's what happens. Yeah, we, we bounced around. We tried to leave, but at one point somebody told us that Atlanta has this invisible umbilical cord and it will always snap you back. Yeah. So no matter how far away we got, we always came back. So we eventually just tra stopped trying to leave. That's what people do. They're like, I'm out of here. And then you see them four years later in the grocery store. You're like, yeah, my new job moved me back here. Yeah. So here it's I something, am. you know, family, friends, whatever it was. Yeah. But we always ended up realizing that Atlanta actually wasn't too bad. So. Yeah. No, it's, and it's getting cooler. So you're actually out here between um, uh, Avondale and, uh, what's it? next town out? Uh, we're actually in Scottsdale. Yeah. We're in Scottsdale, which, uh, which is between Avondale, uh, Clarkston, and Decatur. That's right. It's basically a little whistle stop. Yeah. We are technically uh, unincorporated DeKalb because we don't have a town center. Uh, we don't have a police department, but we mm -hmm. do have a post office. You have a steel mill, too, evidently. We have a steel mill. Very yeah, large it steel was, mill. Yeah. Uh, and we were the cotton mill before the DeKalb Farmer's Market took over that land where the cotton fields were, and um, the Scottsdale Mill Village is right next to us, which was the old oh, I um, did. town. Yeah. I so, noticed the mill, the mill housing when I came yeah. by. It's pretty distinct. Uh, yeah, so as you're saying, you're a graphic designer and printing. Yes. Which is different. So how did this, um, let's start with how you got into graphic design, then we'll talk about your print work and why. I actually got into graphic design through publishing. I was working as a project manager and um, person who was organizing all the production mm -hmm. for authors uh, who dealt in the health and wellness sustainability world. So you were on the editing side, or? Uh, I was actually managing the copywriters, the graphic designers, the photographers, the editors, okay. um, the event planners. Like I was a part of For like the party releases. And yeah, stuff. yeah, the press releases, all the kinds of stuff. Yeah. I was the person who made it all happen. Um, but eventually, I wanted to explore being able to make designs myself, or I needed to make designs myself on occasion. Yeah. And I started taking classes and Adobe and added it to my overall. Yeah, Adobe's um, computer graphic drawing Yeah, computer graphic software. Uh, and I took some courses in that at Emory and ended up with a certificate in design for print and continued to move forward until uh, I decided to leave that position and start my own branding studio. I just finished some comprehensive branding for some of the authors I was working with mm -hmm. and decided to move on because I really liked the high-level strategy of that work communication strategy trying to figure out exactly you know what was the right representation for the person i was working with and colors fonts images for the um for the authors for the authors yeah, yeah the people i was working with um because i really just liked branding work a lot it was it was fun especially for a movement that really needed it because um, when you're dealing with people who write about permaculture it's not the most engaging topic for the average person. Right, right. So, or, you know, health and wellness or something. And so I was uh, working with them because it was something I really cared about, but they often had the worst design. And so yeah, it gave me an opportunity to um, play around with helping them do better. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a little familiar with the, the, the work of the uh, Canadian graphic artist Bruce Mao, mm -hmm. who... Um, his practice started with that doing a lot of um, books for heavily intellectual products. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was interesting reading his book, this challenge of you know, there's an expression, you don't judge a book by your cover, but your job is to make a cover that people can judge it by. Yes. And yeah. it was really interesting how, because books are usually also not visual in content. Right. So. It's, you know, when I found out that you've got essentially five seconds to sell a book, based on the cover so and people it's, going down. yeah it's you know yeah. they it goes spine pull it off the shelf front cover back cover maybe skim through the blurb maybe open up to the table of contents and right. then at that point they either know it's for them 
and they move forward or not. But it all happens in that space of just the front cover and the first couple of pages. So the vast majority um, of us do buy books based yeah. off the cover. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of one of the tricks of design is most people are like, I'm a totally rational person. And you're yeah, like, no. <laughs> no, you're not. You're buying this because of pretty colors and uh -huh. images. Yeah. yeah, I manipulated that out of you. You're just not quite aware of it yet. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, um, I use my powers for good, but I did exactly. So I've I've specialized in the continue to specialize in the sustainability, health, and wellness world. Right. Um, and I work now a lot with branding, uh, organic food companies, organic skincare companies, right? Um, that kind of stuff. But I ended up taking a class in letterpress a few years ago and mm -hmm. i have a history in my early 20s of working with big machines as yeah. an arborist and describe um, letterpress you did um, what that is for people who don't know. uh and letterpress is the original like printing medium um it's been around for it's oh, gutenberg's machine it's gutenberg's machine yeah. uh, and it's been modified throughout the years but the essential um, mechanics and theory behind it has stayed the same and so there are all different kinds of presses you can get mm -hmm. into and when I touched a press for the first time I just loved it it was graphic design I could make with my hands uh, yeah. it got me out of the computer it taught me more about the history of graphic arts than I ever could have learned from a book thinking about um, some old guys in their shop and you needed a print made or a poster made and you just went to the printmaker and they would pull out the drawers of type and they would set up your broadside for you or your yeah. you know your promotional poster and um, browser broadsides a sheet size yeah, yeah and they were you just go to the print guy and he would take care of your graphics needs and just some local guy with it like basically a working class shop owner yeah it was just a trade yeah. it was yeah, uh, a trade. it was a regular old trade and it was often passed down you know father to son kind of thing so there weren't a lot of women in print shops when this form of printing was in its heyday. Right. So you're you've got blocks of letters. And this blocks is of letters about, like, and yeah. um, old etched and engraved dies. Uh, a lot of these guys would sit around with magnifying glasses and actually carve pieces of metal. Now we do it with all photo engraving, yeah. um, acid etching processes. So if they wanted to put an image in with the bond, yeah. they'd have to actually... They'd have to actually um, carve the block themselves um, uh -huh. or go to a guy who specialized in engraving. And Yeah, I think that's one thing we lose track of, too, with a world where we just scroll through and get fonts. It used to have to go buy like a 20 pound block of steel letters and yes. that was your font <laughs> yes and so you, you, you i mean it was a physical thing that somebody would draft out on paper i had a moment i was presenting to a class a typography class and i brought in a whole bunch of letters and you know letting and all the spacers that you use because now it's all digital you just push a button and you get all your letter spacing the way you want it to be and yeah, it's, you yeah. know um, and I showed them what it all looked like way back when, which is actually right. not even that long ago. It was within the last hundred years we were still using this stuff. Mm -hmm. And one girl looked at me and she said, so you mean all those books, like back before we used photographic processes, somebody sat and set every single letter on every single page? And I said, yeah, that's the way it was done. And I watched her mind get blown like when she finally thought about the magnitude of all those pages and all those books and all like all those letters i just saw i saw it happen behind her eyes and it was really cool because she didn't she hadn't even thought about it and i just exposed her to something that was a really new idea when you start looking at some of those early 20th century graphic artists too and you see this beautiful thing and it's very clean and very hygienic and then you make that connection Mm -hmm. which wasn't natural for for me even if i grew up a little before the digital age took off it, it's 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 also interesting to me because they're big machines and they're dirty and they're oily and um they're kind of loud and yeah. they come out with something that's so delicate and precise and refined and you wouldn't expect that when you're just looking at the big right. old clunky piece of metal yeah we're sitting next to something um, that looks like it came off the uss north carolina in world war ii right like some people call point. it my willy wonka machine or it's like a rube goldberg yeah. device you know because of just the way the engineering works yeah and, 
Um, I'm not smart enough to have made the mechanics, but I'm smart enough to use it. Like, I look at it, and I'm like, whoever did the math on you really impresses me. The precision, um, too. Like, I was just looking at it. Like, I could see somebody drawing in section, but then they have to think in time. Like, this piece is here and uh -huh. that, and you're like, that is it's, a crazy kind of mind that can put that together. Yeah, the big production press I have was the first in a world of precision era machines and it's so precisely timed that if it misses picking up a sheet of paper in the automatic system it dings a little bell as an mm -hmm. alarm to tell you that it, it's You're not off. doing its job um, and it's this dainty little bell that that sounds and it yeah. kind of cracks me up because when you look at this thing you wouldn't imagine that its alarm system is like ding it has like Mike Tyson's voice. Exactly. Like big burly thing. It's like, excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Hello. Yeah. I missed a sheet of paper. I missed a sheet of paper. <laughs> so precision made machine, which basically mm -hmm. the first half of the 20th century, which is you were, I think you were mm -hmm. suggesting earlier, is like this period where the industrial revolution got to a point where it was really sophisticated, but mm -hmm. also stuff was made to like be precise and it, last. It was made to be precise. It was made to last forever. Yeah. We don't have that model in industry anymore. It's all like planned obsolescence and right, or it's cheaper um, to throw it away. Like people processed it. Yeah. Right, or or we want you to upgrade or, uh, the, and these machines weren't made for that. They were made to just never die. Um, yeah, that's so good. I mean, the the software's gotten so ridiculous now where you uh -huh. have to. Uh, an Autodesk, I'll just go ahead and say, is evil, where they've gone and they no longer sell you software, they rent you a seat. So every year you're like, do you want to keep working? Well, then we need $1,000 or we're going to just re oh, lock no. you out of every file you have. That's terrible. It's the worst. I don't know. I got the iPad when it first came out, and I love Apple products, but they essentially, after two years, said we're not supporting it anymore. I was like, two years? All I get out of that thing was two years? Are you serious? If this was a child, it'd still be in diapers. I was, I was like, it works just fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't even have a scratch on my machine. Right, right. But you've just decided you're not going to support the software anymore, so now you're forcing me to... Because your branding is strong enough that I will. <laughs> you're forcing me to like submit it to your recycling right. program and go get something new. Thanks, Apple. Yeah, so this is, but um, the sustainability thing is actually really important to you. Mm -hmm. Not just as something you want to be engaged with, but like it's central to your entire practice. Yes. Like you use sustainable inks. I do use sustainable inks. Um, one of the reasons that I really love letterpress is that you use very fine paper and most of them are produced by incredibly sustainable companies. Um, so the paper mills that I buy from, they all have really old practices of working mm -hmm. off of hydropower and yeah. regenerating the forest. And um, some of them even use cotton. Cotton is um, a paper that's used from, made from reclaimed linter. And so they'll take like, like leftover bits, like leftover bits, like the fluff that gets left over from the uh, cotton process. The but they'll also they use old hospital bed sheets and like they recycle all of this old cotton material and turn it into new paper. Right. So working with those papers is a little bit more expensive, but it does have a, a nicer hand to it. And there's mm -hmm. something about letterpress that is unique. It's the only pressure-based printing medium. Um, yeah, I guess so. Like, um, yeah. So it becomes tactile. Um, and you can get foil stamping, and, and those are the same kinds of machines. They're just set up a little bit differently. But there are certain finishing processes that leave the paper with this rich texture. Yeah. Um, and you can sculpt it. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of what got me into it was the medium itself. I think with, well, anybody who starts working with a lot of graphics, you start buying lots of paper. Yeah. Like I have, you know, seven or eight different files of different kinds of paper right. and your different teeth um, but there's something about letterpress too that brings out that nature of the paper mm -hmm. the, the the print has a little bit of a texture to it mm -hmm. um, I noticed a lot of your works too there would be overlapping images mm -hmm. which is natural to the process but there's still a little bit of a, a shadow that's right. very nice yeah there's yeah. it gives a quality to the print that is unlike anything else and right. it is both an art medium at this point uh, as well as uh, you know a production medium. So in my studio, I use it to make my own work because mm -hmm. it's fun to play with these machines and I love them. Yeah. Um, but I also use it commercially, doing business cards and yeah. brand collateral and uh, working with people to make you know refined business communications. Yeah, this is kind of a weird um, 
I, looping back from digital into other technology you seem to have. Like I noticed you do like a lot of your um, image blanks are water cut, which I'm sure there's some computer control in helping those be uh, made. It's a total merger. And actually I say in a lot of my written descriptions about myself that I love merging tradition and innovation. Yeah. Like those, um, you can't have one without the other at this point. I create all of my work in the computer for the most part. Uh, I do it, I do all the graphics yeah. in the computer and I submit them to a dye maker mm-hmm. who does an like a chemical etching process in magnesium or copper or mm-hmm. uh, plastic photopolymer. Yeah. And they submit the plates back to me. It's a guy up in Chambly ANA dyes and they um I can block them up on the press and print with them. So right. they're using digital processes. I'm using digital processes, and yeah. then I'm putting them on these old machines. Right. So. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the way things are done. I also do handset type. I do it the way it was originally done. I've carved my own blocks and right. that kind of stuff. But I've also used a CNC mill to get wood blocks made. So again, it, you know, you turn it into a CAD file, and you use a a CNC router to route out the wood instead of actually doing it by hand because mm-hmm. it's a little bit faster and not a CNC music factory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it was really kind of an idea of what am I trying to get um, across as my message as I'm working through aesthetics, and that kind of drives what kind of fabrication methods you mm-hmm. want to use. Yeah, you know, some people they need throwaway cards, so I take them digital because they don't really need anything that's that important and right. there's some people who need to really drive an impact they need to be remembered right and a letterpress business card like as soon as you hand it to somebody they don't want to throw it out because as soon as they touch it and they feel it they feel the quality of the paper and if right. they have any awareness of what is happening at all they have this moment of like wow you're really cool and then they keep you yeah, there's this cult of the handmade where you're like, this is valuable. And it's also just cool, like I've noticed when I've gone to art gallery opening for friends, it's really cool when you know somebody that's made something, you have an appreciation mm-hmm. for how much it goes into it. So I can see how that would have a bigger impact. Well, you know, some of my clients, like I work with a guy, one of his only marketing techniques is his business card. Yeah. Like he, and it ha- I told him in his industry, he if he had one that was really impactful, right. that it would help drive more sales. And so... I convinced him, because he's an old friend of mine, to let me make him some letterpress business cards. And as soon as he started handing them out, because I know his target market, they're consumers of letterpress. And as soon as he handed out the card, they were like, wow, you have a letterpress card? Where did you get this made? And um, he started calling me, telling me the feedback that he got just on this little business card, it really changed things. And he was getting a higher rate of callbacks. and. Um, I'd imagine, especially for that mm-hmm. section too. Yeah, there's a whole cross section I could imagine of people who, if they're not looking for letterpress, they're looking for some similar level of service or mm-hmm. combination of. of he of is also a craftsman. Technology. Like to have a craftsman with a handcrafted card, it makes total sense. Yeah, you know? yeah, a greater kind of expansion to the community and respect. For right, and it also helps to drive his own brand identity. And I, I would be known as a boutique brander. I'm the kind of person who works with individuals and small businesses to give them highly impactful work um, right. that doesn't necessarily have to run the entire scope of you know what most big corporations do. They just need something that's really refined and. Um, they're working in a, in a very in a precise market sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they need something that communicates their values for sustainability, um, but also, you know, a unique communication for themselves. And so I really enjoy using letterpress to help make all that happen, too. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's knowing that it's letterpress, which people can tell if they look at it mm-hmm. and they know what they're looking at. But there's also the... Um, it's interesting how literal somehow the um, translation of graphic design is to message mm-hmm. when you step outside the norm like you have. Like when people who don't even know letterpress see it, I'm sure they're like, this is different. Yeah, what like, they, this is something that was more effort than I'm used to seeing. I think mostly they go, wow, I haven't held a card like that before. Yeah. Like, whoa, this is kind of cool. How did yeah. they do that? And um, it's not because now we're in this age of throwaway printing. 
we're just throw away clothes. Just throw, throw away everything. Yeah. We just throw away everything. And so, yeah. you know, you get handed a card that was, you know, printed on some kind of cheap stock and nobody really cared about. And um, yeah. it maybe even used a template online. And so somebody's already received like the same design five times. I've seen it when you go into places that allow you to display business cards that a lot of them will have the same design with different names because oh. they got some kind of templated online version. Yeah, and that's not good. That No, it doesn't. Um, it's cheap and it's easy, but it's not necessarily effective and it doesn't make you memorable. And right. that's the kind of thing that I really think branding is supposed to do. It's supposed to help make you memorable so that when they go, oh, I need a tree service or I need a health mm -hmm. consultant or, you know, they go and they pull out your card because they never got rid of it. It's still sitting in the desk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a whole stack of cards on my desk. I'm, I, in the digital world, it's great. I had a, I woke up in the middle of the night last night and my computer was rebooting and running a test and I was like, oh my God, I'm totally screwed. And then I'm cursing technology. I'm like, if this was 30 years ago, I'd have a desk with a parallel edge and a pencil and there's no way it would ever crash. Uh -huh. um, and that's what's great about the business cards is like, I change email addresses, I change uh, work locations. The stack of cards never changes. The information may go out of date uh -huh. and I'll just throw it out then. But it's there and it's the easiest thing in the world for me to search through. Right. So if I haven't called you in sometimes a couple of years, I'll just grab the stack of business cards and flip through. Right. And and the graphic pops out, I grab it, and I make a call. Yeah, I have a whole collection of them. I, you yeah. know, in the graphic design industry, you can't go out into the world and not collect business cards. And, oh, yeah. Um, and you also collect so many other designers' business cards. It's almost like the... Is is my business card as nice as yours? Sort of, sort of <laughs> thing. American you know, Psycho power movement, except <laughs> it's more creative. And so, I, you know, I knew that when I went out into the world as a designer and a letterpress printer and a brander, my card has to be awesome. Yeah. And so, like, I always have to gauge the like reaction, how well I did when designers go, "Oh yeah, that's beautiful," and I'm like, right, because yeah. if I gave you anything less, yeah, you would not respect me as a professional. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we talked a little bit about um, got started getting into how you started. You were working in a a, a tree uh, doctoring service. That was in heavy equipment. And after working with um, publishers and editors, that was before actually in my early twenties. That makes more sense. Yeah, no, was in my early twenties. I um, my husband and I have been with my husband sixteen years now, and. Um, he was doing tree work. He found the job on Craigslist. He'd been doing it a couple of years. Yeah. And there was one day he got called in on a storm job, but I was with him. And so he was like, can she come? And his boss said, you know, I need all the hands I can get. So, <laughs> so go up the tree. You know, I mean, I was, I was already a hiker, a biker. I was fairly active and his, mm -hmm. his boss knew me and, um, I loved it. It was work that was tangible. Yeah. Uh, I really like seeing the results of what I've done. Uh, just part of the reason why I like graphic design. You show and, up, there's a tree. You know, and you leave, it, yeah, it's tree. like there's a tree on a house, and you get it off the house, and you're like, well, look at that, all in a day's work. <laughs> and I the was the world is better now because of me. Right, I was working at uh, actually as the manager for Arden's Garden. I was managing three other retail stores, and okay. um, and it did not give me the same results at all. It was just like I go in, I do inventory, I check in on people, I do scheduling, and. And it wasn't the same experience. So when I did this job, I felt really awesome. Yeah. And I asked if I could join the crew. And he's like, you have a two-week trial period. So I gave it two weeks. The whole crew voted me in. Um, I was the only girl in so Atlanta. Very democratic. It, yeah, it was all about like whether or not I could hang with the guys. Yeah. this is not—it's not easy work. I'm using chainsaws. It's really dirty. It's full of bugs. It's um, other critters. It's just—it's a—it's a gross kind of day. Um, but I really wanted to do it, and I got—I got onto the crew. Uh, I was there for about three years, mm -hmm. and I was taught to climb. If you used a chainsaw, ninety feet in a tree. Uh, know how to do the rigging, rope and harness kind of stuff. So yeah. um, it was a really practical skill in a weird way. Uh, oh. It taught me all kinds of things uh, about physics and mechanics and using, yeah. using tools and made me, you know, useful outside. We still climb. Uh, we left after we saw a guy fall 70 feet. 
a dangerous job. Dangerous job. Yeah. We decided to change our career path to something that probably wouldn't kill us. That was sort of well, the ultimate goal. That piece of equipment there might maim you. It might. I might lose a finger in the process. But, That's okay. You know, I'll lose a finger in order to save my life. So yeah. when we left, we decided to go out to Colorado and farm for a while just to take a break. Yeah. So we wanted to keep working with trees. So we went to a fruit farm, uh, cherries, peaches, plums, and apricots. You um, worked it? Or you we worked it, it okay. on the western slope. Yeah, we packed everything up in storage, and we went out to Colorado for months in order yeah. to work on an organic farm. And ended up having all of our expenses covered and all the food from the farm we wanted to eat. And um, A lot of cherries. It was a lot of cherries. It was a lot of peaches, too. They were peaches. the best peaches, man. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and when that was done, I looked at my husband and said what do you want to do now and he's like I don't want to go back to like work yet you know like a normal job so let's go cycle the coast of California so you're out there for a season and then so we were out there for a season and we had his family who are big supporters of adventure send us our bikes and all the gear we needed mm -hmm. um, and we packed up rode Amtrak out rode the bus up to 20 miles south of Oregon in Crescent City mm -hmm. suited up and rode south all the way through California. All the way through California. We stopped 20 miles north of uh, Mexico in San Diego. So okay. we, we did it slow. There's some people who were pushing through that kind of trip, but we would find a really cool spot and stay for a day or so. We wanted cool. to really explore the area. We stayed with friends in San Francisco mm -hmm. and Sebastopol and um, made it you know, kind of a long vacation. So we took two months to just cycle the coast of California. Okay. And then we decided to come back to the world and, Along and winding you know, yeah. yeah, and you know, get jobs and um, be employed. And that's when I got the job offer to be a um, in the project management business. So right for for publishing houses, yeah. yeah. And then that led to interest in the art of selling books and graphic design. Yeah. And then communications in general, the history of it. Yeah. Something about holding a book that I produced in my hands was just like taking a tree off of a house. It was a, this really tangible end to my experience. There, yeah. Um, I can say web design doesn't do that for me because once you get involved on in a web project, it never ends. You're always changing it. Yeah. It's always, it's just so dynamic and that's the point of the internet. And right. I really like the, the result at the end and then starting the new project. Yeah. And so printing and um, you know, branding, that's kind of stuff is more what I like to do. That's something we struggle with in our industry. You used to have these very clear phases where you would submit and then that would be reviewed. And now it's just kind of a continuum. So we're constantly having to fight to do that and do it. A lot of times we still do paper prints because it's like, here's a thing that you checked. So at one point in the future, if there's a problem, right? we have a record of the process because we have right. to freeze it. And when it's digital, it's never frozen. Like you were saying with the website, it's like, oh, it's great. Can we tweak this? Do that. Yeah. Can we do this? Do that? It's like, yeah. well, okay. At some point I actually have to start adding on to the project because you're now taking it to the this whole, yeah, yeah <laughs> taking it to this whole new level. And yeah. I understand it feels like it's not done yet, but remember that proposal where I listed out everything we would do? Yeah. We're past that point. Yeah, yeah, it's probably <laughs> even worse for you. Like, at least at some point the building um, is done for us. And I'm like, well, you're well, in. Okay. Bye. Here's your building. Yeah. Um, yeah, for us, it's not quite the same. So yeah. you know, the most I can do is, like, with a print, I hand it over and they go, well, here, there you go. Have yeah. fun. Enjoy your business card. Just mail that um, out. Yeah. Go promote yourself. Right. So you started with mostly when you struck out on your own, mostly graphic and branding work and then folded in the print shop idea? Yeah, I folded in the print shop. Um, when I started in this, my started my own studio, I found the need for, I came at the time when um, the digital was really starting to take over and the need for print was waning. Mm -hmm. And so my expertise in publishing didn't necessarily translate. Right, when would but, this have been? Um, 2007 yeah like we we're moving like print like it was right around the time the iPad came and we really yeah. started moving towards e-readers and that kind of stuff to like 2010 is really like a 15-year period where everything went from like paper to digital like yeah in 2000 there in 2000 a, you could find architects who still drew by hand right there's a transition in the 2000s that happened yeah. where just so much of everything went digital and yeah. 
um, the print industry did start to hurt. And yeah, I uh, found in my own studio the only thing anybody ever asked me for was logo, business card, website. Please, I just need these things. And the basics. The start. basics. Like, I just need to get... And then it turned into, okay, now I need a catalog, and now I need a folder, and now, like, now I need all these other things to be designed. Yeah. Um, I would get book projects on the side with some of the distributors and publishers that mm -hmm. I'd worked with in the past. Mm -hmm. and um, But for the most part, it turned into me networking to people who had big dreams and goals for their lives. So they were really fun to work with. Uh, but they needed somebody to get to know them well enough to translate their vision into some kind of an identity. They weren't like super sophisticated corporations that had like a lot of their standards worked out, which is... Most of them were people who worked for sophisticated corporations and really wanted to change careers. Right. And so I ended up working with quite a few corporate people who just wanted another life. Right. And so they had the income to form a new business and to get it off the ground and they would come to me for specialized you know identity work mm -hmm. and I continue to do that and I and I still do um, mostly for people who are making some kind of natural product or right. work in the health and wellness industry right. um, artists artisans people who need handcrafted um, identities right. so then when I got into letterpress, I realized that th it was a way for me to continue that work, but in a, in a continue the boutique sense of it to make yeah. handcrafted brand uh, identities for people, and that's where I specialize now. And that makes sense. It would fit with people who are doing something kind of highly intensive and yeah, um, personal. High-end markets that are personal, mm -hmm. and that's generally where I I get a lot of the work. I. Yeah. I do. We should probably, what's the name of your company, by oh, the way? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's Lenspiece. 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 So, yeah. Um, cool. So, how do, you, how do you usually work with clients when they come in? How's that process you find? Or is it? The first step for me is always getting to know them. What do they want to do? Am I appropriate to do it with them? Because for me, it's a very personal relationship, mm -hmm. and I'm going to know you for a long time. Um, it's not the kind of thing that you're just going to go out into the world and I'm never going to talk to you again. You're probably going to come back to me for another piece, uh, for another piece or yeah. for web editions or something. And so I look for people that I'm actually going to engage in relationships with because it, that's very much what it is. Right. Um, and so as long as we're a good fit, you know, we start the process with the line of questioning. Um, what do you want? How do you see yourself? What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, I try to get them to think in terms of metaphors and symbolism so that I can start to extract some of that into a graphical identity. How do they think about themselves in pictures as opposed to just words? So if they're describing um, like their mission statement or something, you might be pushing to find some sort of vision, them to give some sort of visual yeah, I, without actually maybe bluntly asking them. Uh, no, I know sometimes I'll bluntly ask them, you know, if, if your company were an animal, which one would it be? So like, yeah. give me an anthropomorphized personality, like, or a mammalian personality. Give, give me something to go on. Like, what, what kind of identity do you see yourself in these terms? Mm -hmm. Plant, animal, object, um, so that I can start to get shapes and, you know, um, characteristics feelings kind of entry of points to design yeah, yeah. and so they may have a thought-out answer or it may just be a free association for them mm -hmm. but it's something you can I try to encourage free association just because usually it gives me a more accurate impression yeah they're not In, worried about what you think of them yeah, yeah. There's, when they're like oh I can't answer this question it's like it's actually not that hard give me the first picture right you know that comes to your mind because it's usually the one that you would go with yeah. Um, if you overthink it, then you you know you lose the essence of the exercise. <laughs> so, uh, and once we do that, then I start you know comping up some samples for them, and then we go through that whole hashing out period. I have to encourage them that they can't really hurt my feelings. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Just yeah. Really, let's start with what you hate. Yeah. And let's move into what you like. And um, this is a process, and this is step one. Right. Like yeah. this is this is the idea phase. So. Uh, let's take from this what is working, discard right. what's not, and I'll revision it. And we go through a few revisions, and then I start uh, translating that into how I see it in terms of the collateral that they need, whether it's a website, 
business card catalog. Okay, so there's um, not just like they want help branding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They need help figuring out what they look like for the market they're trying to serve. Right. And so I spend a lot of time talking about talking to them about who they're trying to reach and um, what they're hoping to say. For the most part, I know that market fairly well mm -hmm. because I've been in it for a right. long time. Right, you've been on the other side too. Yeah, yeah, I've been a consumer in that market for a very long time. Yeah. I've seen, you know, I've, I've seen the growth of Whole Foods from the very beginning and I've seen the growth of... Um, the natural products industry and people who are getting into yoga, health and wellness, that whole world right. of, of people, which is now this massive industry. Yeah, it's not even really um, a subculture. It's, it's not very, anymore. Yeah. It was an emerging market for a long time, and now it's just a market. And yeah. there's just, there are too many people who participate in that kind of lifestyle to ignore them. Right. Um, and so now there are studios all over that are starting to specialize in them, which didn't exist before. Yeah. Uh, once once a lot of people are doing it, people see they can get in there. There's a mar Once the market exists, it's easy to see the potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I saw the potential in the market kind of before it existed, but um, it's because I, you know, got into health, healthy living when I was like 18, and it was the late 90s. Yeah, you were engaged in that community. and Yeah, yeah. personally for yeah. a long time. And, you know, I built a career in publishing around it. And right. So when I moved into branding, it wasn't that big of a step for me. Yeah, I guess engaged in the community is probably too clinical. You were doing these things, buying these products, using these services. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So you, you had um, first-hand engagement with mm -hmm. it. I remember when Atlanta didn't have like any vegetarian, vegan options, and now you can hardly go to a restaurant in town without having some kind of service for you. And got a little green mark on the side. Yeah, like now they're all like color coded, and they've got yeah. their own little logos, and and that that didn't exist in the late '90s, and I didn't mm -hmm. even think Atlanta would get there. Um, to see it now is you know a huge improvement. Yeah, Atlanta is. If anything, it's changed. That's what it does. Yeah. Yeah. It grows. It does. Ten percent of it is is actually doing what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So, because of how you work, um, you want to talk a little bit about what you like to create, your design? Are you, just, are you somebody who has an idea in your head of what you want it to be, or are you somebody who starts on a process and you find out and you're surprised where it goes? It's a little bit of both. A little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. Yeah. I sometimes, yeah, we can talk about how and how I create. Sure. I think it's. I think it's an interesting process. I think it's a hard process to vocalize because it's not very linear. Right. And there's a lot of you're talking about free association. Um, I always think of. Um, let me talk about my own understanding, and then maybe that'll be a gate for people to understand. Um, uh, there's kind of a, a eureka process where you talk about. Uh, I've forgotten the name of the Greek philosopher who was trying to figure out the weight, and it's this complicated, big, complex problem, much like design me a nice logo. It's like, well, what the hell does that mean? There's so much tied into that. And he's doing all this work and he can't get anything, but he's steeping himself in the problem. Mm -hmm. And then he sits down the tub and it's like, Eureka. Suddenly it comes to him. He sees the water rise. He knows how to measure the crown, mm -hmm. which is what he's trying to figure out to see if he'd been cheated. Right. If it's like, the crown weighs the same, but they might have used a cheaper material. And he figured out, well, the cheaper material would be bigger. Mm -hmm. So it would displace more water. Um, and then they're kind of a high analytical mode where you actually make that idea happen. Mm -hmm. So design is a lot about that early steeping process which makes no sense because it's not really linear it does for yourself i think mm -hmm. but it looks weird to outsiders i spend a lot of time just researching yeah I research i read a lot of different blogs and review a bunch of websites and review all of the competitors when i'm doing commercial work it's all just looking at everybody else what they've done and then trying to mm -hmm. distill that down into the choices that they've made Right, right. So that I can find a way to keep what I'm doing relevant to the style of the industry, not too far off, right. but still come up with something that's unique and um, appropriate for our target market. Right. It's not literally and looking at what the, the images are, but trying to figure out why like what's would the you theme? pick that yeah. image. It, yeah. For me, it's all about the archetypes. I go, in, yeah, I go into a, a very much of an um, iconography kind of role. I'm mm -hmm. really trying to break down what the what the theme of everything is right. and um, I also spend a lot of time figuring out like 
where is it driving emotion? Is it driving emotion in the visuals of it or in the copy of it or both? Like, because especially now people have become a lot more savvy and we're also a little bit more cynical. And so it comes with savviness. <laughs> so, um, you know, you want to find some, something that can actually connect to them, uh, when, when I'm doing commercial work, but, yeah. and I guess when, even when I'm doing my own work, when I'm coming up with lines of cards or something, I start with an idea. Like it, it's sort of a theme. Right. Um, you know, I came up with a monster line of cards that I collaborated with a friend. Uh, he's an illustrator. He's a comic artist. I've yeah. always loved the characters that he's drawn. And you can't really make greeting cards if you're not doing something that's surrounding gift giving and celebrating and holidays. <laughs> and like, it's sort of the. There's no kid. There's no I I stole your wife business card. Yeah, a greeting card you hand off to somebody at Christmas. Oh, actually, that might be the breakup uh, for the breakup line that I've done. Have you done a breakup <laughs> line? I have done a breakup line. It's turned out to be my biggest hit, which is a surprise to me because they're that's, really that's, kind of mean. So um, uh, you need to open this. Yeah, it's uh, they're all black and they have this really lovely ornate kind of classic script font. Yeah. And, but you're actually getting kicked out of the apartment. It's um, <laughs> it's kind of it's my more jaded side. Uh, I just, I've seen so many people break up. I felt like they needed their own cards, you know. Well, people talk um, about having, like, a, we have wedding ceremonies. We should have breakup and divorce ceremonies where you oh. get together. You and in front of everybody front of that everybody. you got married in front of, yeah. you actually have to d dissolve your relationship. Yeah, you, you go break a um, bunch of, I think, I think breaking things would be involved in that. And right. Then, and then you both take a two-week vacation with, without each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> so right. Explore being alone. So with the monster cards, I went to my friend and I told him, you know, I don't want to make, you know, anything religious. I don't want to make explicit happy birthday. I don't like those are just it's not really my style of giving. And right, right. I said, but I want characters that express these things. I want characters that express spring and fall and Halloween and Christmas and without saying any of that. Right, right. Um, and so I used color, and he came up, you know, with little monsters that are so happy it's spring. They're throwing flowers in the air, and um, they're shooting fireworks out of their mouths. And, and that way, it could be Fourth of July, it could be graduation, or it could be New Year's, you know? It's all about what you, where you want to kind of define that sort of expression. Yeah, was that idea, um, too, of um, taking the spirit of those holidays uh -huh. and shedding them of their... Um, ideological right. baggage. So you're like, we we're doing this because it's good to give to people, but why do we wait until this date to do it? Right. So I wanted to make something more universal because I'm not somebody who follows any specific ideologies and I don't buy cards mm -hmm. mostly because they are targeted towards some kind of ideology and I felt like there's this whole world of people who would actually buy something if it was just a monster who was really happy about giving you a gift. You know? Yeah. He's so excited about the present. Uh, and it can come at any time. It doesn't have to be tied to a birthday or Christmas or anything right, like that. that like it's just the idea of, hey, present, woohoo, good for me, um, good for me, good for you, or what's that? You know, like, and so it was all about the expression of the character, um, and how they were relating in the environment that they're in, and mm -hmm. and that way I could come up with something that gets to the emotion of it without having any of the other. Yeah. So there's an idea of narrative there, but you don't have to know the story. It's like right. a picture of a happy person. Right. And we also live in the world of, you know, Adventure Time, where there are millions of adults and kids who, you know, they watch cartoons. We are yeah. car we're, we're cartoon adults, a lot of us. And yeah. so seeing little cartoon characters, it's not, it's cool. It's, it's not offensive in any way. It's not yeah. childish. It's fun. Yeah. I don't think um, my grandmother would have enjoyed a cartoon. But it's a different generation. It's a different generation. Yeah. But we're in a generation now where, you know, these cards, they're appropriate for a four-year-old and a 40-year-old. Like, it it runs this really long yeah. spectrum of um, yeah. of people. I so. can't decide if that's arrested development or if it's we've gone the other way around. It's like the Shriners in the go-karts. You're like, we're so mature, we don't even care if we're immature. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but actually, that's a good way to put it. I think it's. I think as much as people decry uh, uh, the loss of adulthood, I think it's actually a healthier place to be in a lot of ways. You know, well, we also look at children as if they're supposed to be an inspiration to help us connect to our inner child, and you know, maybe we just have a bunch of adults who've integrated it. You know, they decided We've to never let it leave. Yeah, um, yeah. We know how to have fun. Meanwhile, while running your own business and 
taking care of stuff. Mm -hmm. You can do both. As a as a brander, mo most of my stuff, they're done in lines. They're done as like complete concepts, and they you know they run a spectrum of ideas within those concepts. And That's I, a nice way to work visually to get a, the full complexity of what you want out. Yeah, and so I have the breakup cards, and they are styled a very specific way, and I have the monsters, and they are a very specific thing, and. Um, I have three magic words, which actually came from my husband. Okay. Because he realized that all of my favorite phrases were three words. Okay. You know, I love you, I miss you. Those are the standard ones. Yeah. My personal favorite is you were right. You were right. Yeah, I don't get that one as often. So when I do, it's really special. Oh, they're coming um, to you, not yeah, you putting Yeah, well, I mean, it could be either. Like, it's, it's also an expression of humility, right? Like, instead right. of saying I was wrong, which is all really about you, it's much nicer to tell the other person you were right, you know. So um, there's something powerful about you were right because I think many times people feel it's working; they don't have to say you were right. But there's you're right. There's this kind of very it's an it's, expression of humility. It's yeah. you know, it's it's you actually getting over yourself in that moment and. It's an acknowledgement, um, too, that you need other people and that yeah. however much the process might have been painful, that was part of the process. Uh -huh. It's actually getting to the point where you can say you were right. You were right. This thing um, is better because of you. Right. right. And so that entire line is all focused on three words of power. Mm -hmm. My personal favorite is go fuck yourself. But, you know, you were right and go <laughs> fuck yourself. But, um, you were right. Go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> you could actually put like, them together. Um, so... You know, I always come up with those kinds of themes surrounding the work, whether it's mm -hmm. going to be really emotional and inspirational, it goes that direction, and they all get in, in right. that line. So That's interesting. You've mentioned a couple times the emotional impact, too, and that that's kind of seems to be the hook for you. We talked about when you're doing your, how do I, and I think sneak in might be the word with graphic design mm -hmm. and branding. Like, you're on guard. Where can I find space and where you're on guard? Because there's, even in a business card with a name and a logo, tons and tons of information coming at somebody. Mm -hmm. Where's that little corner I can find to slip in that hook mm -hmm. that makes this thing, that makes the branding go? There have been studies done in the post-digital era in terms of marketing to say that print is the only place where you can still drive emotional impact. E-cards do not give the same emotional presence oh, that right, an actual right. printed card does. Um, giving Having somebody type in your business information into their phone does not cement them in your brain the way a, bu a business card does. Right, right. If you're actually trying to drive a personal connection, right. the only thing that still does that is printing. Um, because we're so inundated with digital information that right. we gloss over a lot of it and we don't really take it in. Um, and that's letterpress has a way of taking that a step up with its really high quality papers and the tactile nature of it like uh -huh. it's something that you feel and so it's appropriate if we're going to try to express some sort of feeling to use a medium that excels in that which is where yeah. i like to pull that connection yeah we're really good at uh at, at sorting visuals and sorting through visuals mm -hmm. like if anybody who's ever taken a great photo who's then gets home and sees it's like of a sunset and it's a little red dot and like you're, you're editing so strongly, and you sort real strongly. It makes it very powerful, right? but it makes it a very difficult medium to work into when you're trying to capture that sunset in a way that has the impact right. that you're trying to have. So I think I, I, I can follow your argument that says the card, the physical thing, I understand how to look for that, not going through a metaphor of file systems on a computer. Right. Uh, I can shift through it. I can find it. You don't have to like s do the search bar. You know, you're yeah. not going to spotlight it. You're going to yeah. actually go and have it somewhere. And yeah. You're going to put it in the place where you put those things. Yeah. Um, you know, it goes into your card box or it goes on your mantle. Um, and I, I really do like that aspect of the work that I do is actually making people feel something. They feel either a connection. You know, in greeting cards, it's all about connections between two people. It's an expression. It's a very upfront emotional connection. Also. Yeah, it's like, I know you well enough that I know your home address. I actually have, have it written down. Right. And I'm trying to send you something. I'm trying to send you a gift or I'm trying to send you something that's uplifting you in a hard time. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually trying to connect to you in a very real way. And I have taken the time to go to a store 
to find the right card in order to express what I'm trying to say to you. And I mean, even the breakup cards, they're just that in reverse. <laughs> you know, it's, it's saying I have this information. I'm not holding on to it. Yeah. Or I might like, hold on to it. I don't know. For me, those were conversation starters or the last word. It's like when you just, you know, you're done and you don't care what the repercussions are. You just give the card that says you should go. You should go. Like you should, you should go. Or you can so keep, you're you can keep the cat. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. For me, it's all about the relationship. You know, part of that probably comes from having been married my entire adult life. Um, I've spent, you know, from the time that I was 17 until now my mid thirties, I've, I've been with the same person and right. I've watched the relationship grow and change. And so relationship has become something that's really important to me as an idea. Right. Um, and I realized even growing my own business that I'm only as strong as my relationships, that my community, the people around me, those connections in my life are the most important thing I have. Yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of people that you look around and you realize you've got your people and sometimes yeah. they come and go where there's always that breakup end of things. Um, mm -hmm. and, but sometimes they stay around and they become these lifelong treasures that you have and you get to share little moments with them through, you know, through print. Yeah, no, I think it's um, the more relationships you have of an adult nature where they didn't just come to you like as a child. Right. At least I'm finding that the more these things begin to be important, they become ways of investing in that relationship mm -hmm. and... and in many ways, almost their pure symbolic nature becomes even more important. That there's nothing. I'm not giving you anything practical here. I'm just giving you a thing that's really a total waste of all our time. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> that actually, um, in a weird way, that heightens the value, the, the value mm -hmm. of it. I could give you something that's the most practical thing ever. You're getting all this value of it, but that obscures the view of um, the real meaning. The kind of um, um, maybe the Greek erete idea of like the essence, the, the, the fulfillment of this act, which is about sharing something with somebody else. Right. It's about sharing a piece of yourself. Right. Yeah. Or, Hey, I found this and I thought you would really love it. And, or it made me think of, of you, yeah, 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 and, yeah. you know, like it, it's just a way to say I care and a really simple token. Yeah. Um, and when I realized that there are a lot of people who crave that, kind of connection yeah I realized that those are the people that I wanted to make things for yeah. um, and I wanted to think about the times of life that are celebratory the times that are difficult yeah um, words that are really hard to say yeah uh, those those kinds of things are what drive the communication in what I do I think that's um, a really nice profound statement for you to make at the end of an interview to wrap up <laughs> so we can drop the mic and Thank you. That was that was great, Lenny. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, thanks for having me at your shop.